Well, we are right in the middle of a, of a series called The Anatomy of the Church. And we're, we're looking at the Bible, seeing how God has, has designed His church, how He intends it to operate, and also how Christ fulfills His promise. Now, if you are new, you know that we are typically in a book and we're going verse by verse in exposition, and we are headed to the book of Ecclesiastes in just a few weeks, but we are here this morning, is what the Lord has, has ordained for us. Jesus has promised to build His church. Do you believe that? How do you know that? Because the Bible says it, right? And the Bible says, let, let God be true and every man be a liar. Jesus has promised to do that. He's been doing that from the book of Acts on. He's been He's been doing that in Lynchburg. He's been doing that all over the world. And he'll continue to do that until, until he comes. And typically, when we think about the, Jesus fulfilling his promise to build his church, we think of adding individuals to the church, saving people. And clearly, that's, that's part of it. Jesus saves everyone that's ever going to, to be saved. He does that through the work on the cross. But part of the way Jesus fulfills that promise is he organizes his church, he provides the Word of God, he gives gifts to his church, many of the things that we have, that we have looked at. And then that same passage that talks about the promise of Jesus Christ says the, the church is indestructible, the, the gates of, of hell or Hades shall, shall, not, shall not overpower it. The church of Jesus Christ is not a program, it's not a building, it's not a business. It's the place God displays His unfathomable wisdom and glory. And He does that through the people that Christ has purchased. And it's a witness of the gospel to the world. We, we equip the saints here in this hour, and then we, we go out of here and we evangelize the world. The, the two E's, the equipping, sanctification, and then we, we go witness. We share the gospel. We're a testimony. We testify and that is the evangelism. We're to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the, of the earth. And the church is, is God's plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way to, to Z. It's of profound importance. It is not nice. It is necessary. Nowhere in the Bible will you find a me and God, the Lone Ranger Christianity idea. Nowhere will you find in a, in a normal setting, and I understand there are exceptions, nowhere will you find in a normal setting a New Testament believer that's disconnected or not part of, not in commitment to a local body of, of believers. The church is is not just nice, it's necessary. You need it for your sanctification. Charles Spurgeon said, The world is all scaffolding. The church of Christ is the true building. John Calvin said, The whole world is a theater for the display of the divine goodness, wisdom, justice, and power. But the church is the orchestra. God ordained His church. Because in the church, the fullness of of God dwells, and because of that, we're looking closely at how, how God designed it, how it operates, how He preserves it. And it's a massive, massive blessing to be part of a biblically healthy church, and that's obviously what we, we strive to be. If, if you've been in one, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Once you experience 
a biblical philosophy of ministry, a biblically healthy church, you're never satisfied with the pragmatic crumbs that a weak, that a weak church offers you. You just won't be. No matter how great the bells and the whistles, and no matter how difficult or, or off-key or bad the singing is, or not that there was any of that this morning, if there is a biblically healthy church, if the Word of God is proclaimed, explained, and applied, you will, you will remain there because that's where, that's where you're fed. Our passion as a church is the, the glory of Jesus Christ through the skilled communication of, of His truth to God's people and the, the training of, of churchmen who will champion the cause of faithful shepherding and then sending people to the world to do the same. If you summarize all the passages in the New Testament, you, you'll find three features of the church's anatomy. There, there's the visible leaders, sometimes called pastors, sometimes called overseers, sometimes called elders in the Bible. There's the exemplary servers, better known as deacons. All of us are commanded to serve. Some, are, some do that really well, and they're examples to us, and they're set apart for that... T- for specific tasks, and then there's the maturing ministers. That's, that's all of us. That's the congregation. The congregation includes the elders and the deacons. The statement that I've used is the church is pastor-led, deacon-served, and congregationally affirmed. And, and we've been looking at the visible leaders in the, in the church, and we've looked at where they come from, their, their, their gifts from Christ. We, we've, we've looked at the qualifications. What do they look like? And this morning we're going to look at what they what they, they do. A biblical shepherd is a man who has an unchargeable testimony. He has been, he's had time and training in doctrine. He's proven at home. He has a specific character. He has an undeniable desire and, and he has a particular commitment. It is a, it's a biblical view that you find from, from 1 Timothy and, and Titus. And it's all the qualifications of, of a pastor. Now we're going to turn our attention to, okay, that's great, but, but what duties do they, do they perform? So if you're not there, I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. Michael read the passage for us this morning. We'll look at a couple others, but I'll put them up on the screen for you. When we look at the Word of God, we, we get a very clear and limited picture of who the Lord intends to shepherd His flock. And you also get a clear picture about the tasks or the duties that they are commanded to perform. There are specific qualifications because there are particular responsibilities. And both of those two things go together. You will find, as you're listening this morning, as you think about the, the specific qualifications of a pastor, they're going to dovetail with the, with the particular responsibilities. He's required to have these, these characteristics, these marks of faithfulness, because he is to, he's commanded to fulfill these responsibilities. And so you can do all you want, but if, but, but if you don't, you don't be, then, then you've got a problem. And the Bible tells us just bluntly what shepherds do. It's not up to a church or a generation to define what pastoral ministry entails. A pastor is not a promoter, he's not a businessman, he's not a CEO, he's not an executive, he's not a psychologist, he's not a producer. 
Nowhere in the Bible will you find that a pastor is called to build big churches or construct massive buildings or accomplish great earthly things. You're not called to uh, have a big idea for God and go do it. This is God's idea. Christ building His church in the Word, and that happens through the, through the faithful exposition of, of truth. And as you obey that truth, Christ will, Christ will do that work. Scripture likens a pastor to many things, and none of them match what you typically see in the flash and the flare of, of, the, of the Internet or other models that are, that are held up. The Bible likens him to an able teacher in 2 Timothy 2.2, a hard-working farmer, a good soldier on active duty, a careful workman, a useful vessel, the Lord's bondservant, and a, and a slave. Even the term shepherd is, is lowly, reflecting the humble task in New Testament times. If you want glamour or glitz or glory, don't go into pastoral ministry um, for a number of reasons. A, you won't get it, and B, you'll mess God's church up. Shepherds were not the upper class. They didn't carry any weight in society. Their lives were dedicated day in and day out to caring for, for their sheep. And that's exactly why God uses that title for the visible leaders of His church. What do you think of whenever, when you hear the term pastor? Is it a faithful man who taught you the Bible? Well, I hope so. I, I really do. Maybe, maybe, a, maybe a man who married you or or was there presiding over your grandmother's funeral, maybe someone who visits the hospital. Sadly, some of you may think when you hear that word, uh, betrayal. You probably think of whatever your experience has been with the one or two or, or more pastors that you've had in your, your life, whether it's good or bad. You will, you will import that, that experience in, into that term. Well, God doesn't leave us doesn't leave us guessing. And the Bible gives a definitive list of responsibilities that pastors are to carry out. And actually, it's, it's pretty simple. There are three duties that encompass the work of a, of a pastor, an elder, an overseer. They pronounce the Word of God. They preside over, it should be, the, the church of God. And they preserve the, the flock of, of God. If a pastor performs these duties, they are considered faithful by God. When the Apostle Paul was coming to the end of his life and he said that he had finished his course and he wanted to hear, he couldn't wait to hear, well done, faithful servant, these are the things that the Apostle Paul would be evaluated on. These are the things that he had in his mind. The first duty is they pronounce the Word of God in preaching and in teaching. And this duty is primary. It's proclamational in nature. I'll explain to you what I mean by that. It's the priority and it's also prevailing regardless of what is prevailing in the, in the culture. Now, if you remember last week, the seventh requirement of a pastor's character, if you remember that from Titus chapter 1, they're, they're, they're holding fast the, 
the faithful word. Here, the, 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 the duty, the task, the picture of, of a pastor's task begins to, to emerge. Titus said, holding fast the faithful word as you've been taught. Why? What's the result? So that you might be able to, by sound doctrine, both to exhort or encourage those who believe and then convince or refute those who contradict. That is done through preaching and teaching. And that is a, a pastor's primary task. There's no other command that is outlined in all of Scripture that even comes close to preaching and teaching. Look up any verse that has to do with the duties or the responsibilities of an elder, of a pastor in the, in the Bible, and it will connect to the proclamation, the sharing, the communication of God's truth to, to other people. Nine out of, out, of ten, out of ten times. Here's just a, a smattering. 1 Timothy 4, 6. Doing so, you, you make yourself a good servant. Prescribe and teach these things. 1 Timothy 4.13, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. 1 Timothy 5.7, prescribe these things so that they may be above reproach. 1 Timothy 5.17, the passage that Michael read that we're going to look at. Elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially or in particularly those who work hard at preaching and teaching. 2 Timothy 2.15, study. You know the passage to... Show yourself approved. Be diligent. Accurately handling the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.24, the Lord's bondservant must be able to teach. 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, meaning great patience and instruction. Titus 1.9, hold fast the faithful word so that you'll be able to both exhort and refute. Titus 2.1, but as for you, speak these things which are fitting, or speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Titus 3.15, but these things speak and exhort and reprove with, with all authority. I, that's just the pastoral epistles. I could, I could, go, I could go on. You could go to, to Acts chapter 6, verse 2, where the apostles said it's not right that they should give up preaching the Word and, and prayer to, to serve tables. We'll devote ourselves to prayer and ministry of the, of the Word. Peter 5, 1, the elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder, feed the flock of God which is among you, proclaiming what God has said and only what God has said is the primary duty of a shepherd, of a pastor. And it's not to be neglected even for, even for good, good things. It's, it's primary. Whether that's weddings or visitation or building campaigns or committees or fill in the blank, whatever it is. The primary difference between a pastor and a deacon, between elders and deacons is both, both of them must have godly character, both of them are servants, but pastors must be able to teach because that's their, that's their primary task. Some of them will do it in a pulpit like this. Some of them will do it in one-on-one -on -one discipleship, shepherding small groups, whatever it, it might be. But they must be able to handle the Word because that's their, that's their primary task. A, a deacon must hold the faith. He, 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 must, he must know it and he must employ himself in, 
in service, but that's the, that's the primary difference. And it's proclamational in nature. What do I mean by that? Well, the Bible uses many words for the task of, of announcing God's, God's words. Um, you don't care and you don't want to care about my opinions. Uh, if you know me, I came to Christ when I was 24 years of age, and I cannot imagine where my life would be. I'm 48 right now. I can't imagine where my life would be. Half of my life was spent living based on my opinions, being governed by, by my opinions. The other half of my life has been following Christ, just trying to hear what God has said and putting it into path. The, the first 24 years of my life were a train wreck. You do not want my opinions. You do not want to govern your life by your opinions. You don't want a pastor to go to the Bible and sanctify his own opinions by verse or anything else. You want a pastor to explain to you the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. God's mind, God's word, God's heart. That's... That's the task. Explain it to you so you can so you can feed on it and apply it in your life. And the Bible uses many words for that. Preaching, teaching, confronting, exhorting, feeding, speaking, handling the Word. And you can summarize that list with preaching and teaching. All of the other things flow out of that. You're instructing as you're preaching and teaching. You're confronting as you're preaching and teaching. You're exhorting, you're... you're you're using the Word. That's the source. A pastor preaching is what you normally think about, and rightfully so, but there's, but there's more than that. Public preaching is public proclamation aimed at admonishing, exhorting, and instructing. It's the, it's the authoritative pressing of the truth on your mind to, to get to your heart calling for a verdict. Will you believe or will you not believe? That's what's happening in the in the preaching event. And because of that, you know that there's a trend that against it. Some believe preaching is, is passe. It's, it's no longer needed. It's, it's offensive. It's offensive for one man to stand before a group of people and say, thus saith the Lord, with authority. I have zero authority in myself. But this book has all authority over me and over you. We need a, uh, people will say we need a conversation about God, not proclamation of the Word. I mean, you've heard it. We need dialogue with people. We need to make them part of the process. Dialogue with people all you want. That's a, that's a wonderful thing. Make a part of the process. That, that sounds like team building at, at work, but, but don't try to do that with the pulpit because that's exactly contrary from what God, to what God has said. Listening to one man proclaim something is overly authoritative. It's one-sided is the, is the culture. And so churches have taken their pulpits out and they've replaced them with stools and props and other things. And I could care less about, you know, traditional this or, or, or that. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about looking like that you fell off of Life magazine from 1950 with, with whatever that stuff you put in your hair and the, and the horn rim glasses. I'm not talking about failing to use the things that that, that are advancements that help you fulfill, fulfill the task. I'm talking about a man standing with the book who has been in the book sharing and explaining to you what the book says and saying, this is what God said, what will you do with it? That is preaching, and that is commanded, and that is or, 
ordained. Watching short videos and then talking about God is utter nonsense. It really is. I once saw a church several years ago that was playing Andy Griffith clips as sermon illustrations and then discussing them about, about how they saw God in them. And it was called being, being created. Go home and watch Andy Griffith. I love Andy Griffith. I can whistle the song in my head. I like the fishing pole. But the thing that you won't hear from Andy Griffith or anywhere else in the world is what you should hear here. What does God say about a matter and what should I do with it? That's what you find in the church. The Bible explained and the Bible applied. It was interesting, a lot of talk about you know Joshua Harris and then the most recent apostate Hillsong's Marty Sampson. And John Cooper from the contemporary band Skillet was quoted this past week or week before saying this. He was asked about it. What do you think about Hillsong God, you know, apostatizing and Joshua Harris? Here's what he said. We're in a dangerous place when the church is looking to 20-year-old worship singers as our source of truth. We must stop making worship leaders and thought leaders or influencers or cool people or relevant people the most influential people in Christendom. Amen. The most influential person in the church is not me. It's Jesus Christ, and this is His voice in the book. God has commanded, preach my word. Not your ideas, His words. It's... It's transcendent, it's timeless, and it also involves teaching. Teaching can be different from, from preaching in its purpose. It's, it's more directing, uh, directed at aiding uh, understanding. The greater stress is placed on instruction, building up, stealing you, where preaching instructs, but it also admonishes and it exhorts. Preaching and teaching overlap. At times, they're, they're indistinguishable. A sermon that does not teach is, is not a sermon. I know because I've preached some of them. I've listened to them and hid the tape. But you can teach and not be, not be in the pulpit. Teaching can be on one-on-one discipleship and, and small group. Teaching is more focused on explaining and less, on, less of confronting. Now, obviously, everything in the Bible confronts our thinking because our thinking is fallen. Reproving, rebuking, exhorting, and encouraging are all applications of preaching and, and, and teaching. Proclaiming with, with, with information and instructing with, with information. To reprove, to reprove with evidence, to rebuke, it means to censor, it, uh, to exhort, it means to, to encourage, to admonish, and all with the Word of God. And all of these things, a, a pastor, a shepherd, does as God's mouthpiece with the Bible as the, as the source. The shepherd has to do all of these things and be able to discern what balm is needed and how to apply it. And, and this, is his, this is his priority. It's not to be neglected for, for anything. I mentioned to you Acts chapter 6, verse 2. We've already been through how the apostles and the prophets laid the foundation of the church. There's no apostles, there are no apostles, there are no prophets today. They laid the foundation of Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. He's the gospel. 
what he did, what he accomplished. That's what the apostles and prophets proclaimed. The foundation of the church is laid in the book of Acts. Then that's turned over to missionary evangelists and pastor teachers who build on that, on that foundation. The apostles give us, uh, give us a foretaste of, of things that God later develops. And Acts 6 is one of those verses. Acts 6, 2 says it's not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. We will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Now, when you first read that, you think, well, wonder what, what, what are tables? Obviously, it must be some horrible remedial task that just takes the people of God away from them. That's not true at all. Serving at the tables are ministering to widows. And James says... Pure religion and undefiled has to do with ministry to orphans and widows, i.e. people that can give you nothing in return for, for what you do. This, this is not a lowly task. This is a massive high priority. And yet they're not to, to give themselves to that, that priority that's defined as pure religion because they have another priority. Somebody had to take care of the tables, but it wasn't the, the elders. God says nothing more is needed for the elders than, than the feeding of, of those widows and everyone else that goes along, that goes along with it. And, and here you can, is where you can get in trouble. People's expectations, pastor's expectations. I, feel, I really do. I feel sorry for, for men uh, that are entering into ministry where they're told that it's their task to go change the world, or that the success of the church, how many people are in the church, whether the church uh, it, uh, you know, has a great children's ministry or whatever it is, all rises or falls on leadership. That's the term that you'll, you'll typically say. It, that does not work that way in the church. It all rises and falls on Jesus Christ building His church. He's the leader of the, of the church. You're to be faithful in those, in those duties. All of those expectations can get lodged in the head and then the evaluation of success or failure is based on whether you are doing and going and growing and whatever else is compared to whoever, to whoever it, 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 it might be. Um, and yet the work that you're called to do is, is very hard to the word. Here, devote means we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. The word devote is a, it's a super strong word. It, the difficulty for pastors is, 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 not, uh, is not saying no to bad things, typically. Now, there's some that, that, that have to do that. I mean, we're all fleshly. But... The hard part's choosing between good and best when the pressure can be massive from his own desires, from his family, even from the people that he serves. And the pastor can busy himself with all kinds of things, even good things, but if he neglects prayer and the Word, he ne- he's neglected his people. Even if it was his people that he neglected the Bible for. That's the message of Acts 6. There's nothing greater that your pastors can do for you than to pray and to study and explain the Word of God to you. Al Mohler said it's like the instructions on the back of a, of a shampoo bottle. And he paused and he said, 
Don't you find it odd we need instructions on the back of a shampoo bottle? I mean, how hard is it, right? Lather, rinse, repeat. (laughs) Apply, rinse, repeat. And that's basically what a pastor does every day, every Sunday. He he studies the Word of God. He, He preaches the Word of God. He shares the Word of God. And then he repeats that that task over and over and over and over. And preaching is is prevailing. It's the last one. It's the priority and it's it's prevailing. Second Timothy four verse two says the Bible is to be be to be proclaimed whether people want to hear it or not. This is all I have to do with the duties. You need to understand this if you're going to faithfully carry out this, this duty. So I've told you before, I was taught being ready in season and out of season meant being ready anytime. So Pastor Joe would call me just a few hours before Sunday night and say, you're preaching this evening. And I've told you before that I found out later that meant he just didn't have a sermon ready and he wanted me to wrestle on Sunday afternoon to, to get ready. That's not what that verse means at all, even though I love my pastor. Is actually the, the extent of the command from verse 2. The command, preach the Word. And it means do it when it's popular and convenient and when it's not. When, it's, when it seems suitable in season and when it, when it doesn't. There's deer season coming up. There are going to be times when it's season for, for preaching. And then there's going to be other times when, when it's not. The verse means that even in the church, there, there will be times when, when proclaiming truth won't be desired or popular or accepted. It won't be why people come out. It, there will be times when they want to hear something else, music, uh, shorter sermons, drama, children's programs, whatever, whatever it is. When you feel the temptation to, to shy away from what the Bible says, or maybe think should... I shouldn't share it because it it's it's not what someone wants. God says you're over overthinking. The command's to preach. Your your task is is to obey. You don't worry about the results. That's above your pay grade. Listen, every Sunday God is at work. He's at work this morning. Why in the world would I think I have any idea where where He's at work or what that work is? I mean, I can't see your, your heart. I can't see the hidden places of your mind. I've preached to people that, that I thought they were, they were rejecting everything that God was saying, a scowl on their face. I've had people slam the door, cuss me out, whatever it is, only to find out later they were under such severe conviction that, that God brought them to Christ. And I've also been there when I thought the person was, was, just, was just lapping it up, growing leaps and bounds, only to find out they were living a double life. You don't know what's going on in the heart of, of someone. You can't tell based on outward results. That's why Jesus says that you will know a tree by its fruits. And that's a long period of time that, that develops. So what do you do? You do what God commands you to do. You share the Word. You faithfully minister, regardless of what it looks like they're getting or, or, or not getting. Your task is to witness, to preach, to teach, and get it right. That's it. 
a passage everyone likes and knows, rightfully so. Isaiah 55:11 says, "So will my word be which goes forth from my mouth; it will not return to me empty or void, without accomplishing what I desire." It's true. God's word works. It hardens and it softens. When it's proclaimed, you respond to that word. You either receive it and it softens or, or, or you press back against it and you become, you become harder. We normally think of that, that verse meaning when God's word is successful, it, it's when there's a positive result. When someone else receives it. But that's not the only time. Isaiah himself was called to a ministry that resulted in hardening. You know the verse, here I am, send me. Look at what God says. Go and tell this people, keep on listening and do not perceive. Keep on looking and do not understand. Render the hearts of the people insensitive, their ears dull, their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see their ears hear with their, their ears and understand with their hearts and return and be healed. And Isaiah said, how long do I have to do that? And he answered, until the cities are devastated without... And inhabited houses are without people and land is utterly desolate. How would you like a calling like that? How would you like to be called to that? That's your ministry. You're going to go to a church and you're just going to preach, faithfully preach the word. And all, it, all the only response is going to be hardening by people. And you're going to be faithful in it. Well, it was God's judgment to the hearers and it was also mercy. God had to tear them down before he could build them up. He had to humble them before they'd seek mercy. But how or when God does that is not for you to, to worry about. You pronounce my truth and preach my word, Jesus says. And you also preside over the church in ruling and leading when you, when you do that. Pastors preside over the church in ruling and leading. They're first, they're visible, they're ruling in function, and they're laboring in description. Six times Scripture speaks of a pastor presiding over the church. Prohistemi, to stand first. First Timothy or First Thess five twelve, Hebrews five twelve, Titus one seven causes the man a steward of God, and we talked about what a steward is. Pastors do the same thing. When the Bible speaks to to pastors, it reminds them to humbly submit to God. Because they're nothing but stewards. They're not owners. And when the Bible speaks to members, it reminds them to humbly submit to the leaders that God has placed over them. And you can see in both cases why godly character and the qualifications are so important because without either one of those, people aren't safe. Ungodly pastors fleece the flock for their sinful gain. Godly mem- ungodly members are unruly sheep and harm the whole flock with their, their wicked self-will. Yet the pastors stand in first position. They're visible leaders. They're not without accountability, even among themselves. There's a, there's a plurality of them. They're, they're accountable to the congregation. They're under shepherds of Christ. Their only authority is the Word of God. But they, they stand first. Look at this passage in 1 Timothy 5, 17. You say, wow, that was a long introduction. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy... Of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching, or specifically those. First Timothy five, this passage is one of those places that uses the this this word to to rule. 
And you can see all all three functions of a pastor there. The elders rule, particularly preach and teach. Elders, overseers, shepherds are, are the same office, and they do the same thing. God says that there will be distinctions among them. Look at the distinction. The elders, that's all of them, all of the elders will meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3. This is 1 Timothy. The qualifications were two chapters earlier. They'll all oversee the flock. Look at this. The elders who rule well, so they'll all rule, they'll oversee, they'll stand first. 1 Timothy 3 tells us all of them must be able to handle, to teach, they must be able to handle the Word of God. But some will labor harder in preaching and teaching. That's what that second part means. All the elders will rule, will stand first, they'll lead. They'll all have to, to be able to teach. But in particular, those who work hard, who labor to the point of exhaustion at preaching and teaching, they're the ones that are worthy of, of, of double honor. The category that you probably think about when you hear the term pastor is a pastor in the pulpit who's paid by the, by the church, those who labor hard at preaching and teaching. They should be paid and they should be in the pulpit, whether the main one or not. That's Paul's point. Look at verse 18. For Scripture says you shall not muzzle the ox. The, 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 the one, the elder here who's laboring and preaching and teaching is, is like, a, like a treading ox who's, who's threshing. Lay the laborer, he's a laborer, he's worthy of his, of his waiters. But what about the group, the first part? The group that doesn't labor like that. What does God mean by that? Notice they're elders, plural, so more than one. Notice that they preside over, over the church. They lead, meaning they're set apart by the congregation, just like deacons, recognized and voted on by the church. But they're not paid because they labor at other jobs and don't spend that time or energy at preaching and teaching. And yet some are set apart to labor at preaching and teaching, and those are in the pulpit and those are paid by the church. And they're part of a, a group that's, that's recognized by the congregation, subject to the Bible and the congregation to lead. You should think of these men like lay pastors. They don't spend as much time or effort at preaching and teaching as I do, but they're trained and able if they're called to do it. They don't have any lower qualifications or less authority, but they recognize that others may be more gifted and more able than them. And all of the elders over the flock, some will focus on laboring daily to feed God's people His, His Word. And that's the last one, laboring in description. When I studied all these passages like this one in verse 17, I was struck at how many times the, when, when it talked about ruling or presiding or leading, and I've already defined what we mean by, by ruling, not, not like a pope or, or Presbyterianism. I was, I was struck by how many times that word, the word that's used here, the ones who rule well, is accompanied by, by, by the words like diligence and, and labor. They're laboring people in description. They're described as those who labor. They're diligent. They're a diligent labor among the the flock. They they show others what to do, and by doing it themselves, they don't neglect the tasks of preaching and teaching. That's why those are worried uh, worthy of double honor. 
Ministry is not a position of earthly prestige. It's a position of eternal work as you watch over the the flock of God. And your goal in that labor is to do everything in your power to preserve God's sheep from harm and to present them to the master without, without blemish. And that's the last one. The third duty is they preserve the flock of God in, in shepherding and, and protecting. They do that through guarding, guiding, protecting, and, and, and praying. Look at First Peter 5. You can see it up on the screen or look at it in your own Bibles. Again, all three tasks, all three terms are used. Talking about the same men in First Peter 5. Therefore, I exhort the elders, there's one, among you, they're part of the congregation, they're not some ecclesiastical group that, that's set apart. They're among you. The elders are from you, among you. They're part of, of the flock. Peter says, as a fellow elder, and also somebody who witnessed the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, here's the second, shepherd the flock of God among you. Second time he said that, you're shepherding among you. A shepherd doesn't call in instructions to, uh, you know, to a sheepdog. He's, he's among the flock, in the church, exercising oversight, ruling, overseeing. There's the third word. Not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. And you know the rest. And look at verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There's the reward for the, the hard work of ministry. All three words, all three duties present. I exhort the elders, shepherd the flock, exercise oversight. In fact, the word pastor itself means shepherd. While shepherd is not a highly exalted position, it is a necessary one. Just ask, just ask a sheep who doesn't have one whenever a wolf comes when they're hungry and they don't have anything to eat. It's no mistake that God chooses this metaphor and inscripturates it as a title for His visible leaders. Shepherd watches over the flock. He protects them. He feeds them. He leads them to green pastures. In fact, Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, Pastors have the duty to watch over your soul. I pity you if you're not under a pastor. You know, one of the most, some of the most difficult counseling cases, and a lot of them never straighten up, never, never, never go right, or if they do, there's, there's a massive length. Have to do with, with individuals that don't already have a relationship to a, a church, people, that they can call on whenever the wheels come out from under, like, which, and it will, and they don't have a pastor or a relationship with, with the, with the pastors over them. Because then they have to, they have to overcome this massive gap of, of relationship with people and, and then learning the heart and learning the voice. They, they just come and they basically say, fix me. And as I've heard Brother Mark say more than once, you know, it took you 25 years to mess it up. I'm not going to be able to fix it in 25 minutes, right? 
to watch over your soul. The word means to be sleepless, to exercise constant vigilance, to attentively watch. A shepherd is always scanning the horizon and the dark shadows where the sheep graze for danger, for lame sheep and for sufficient food. They look for a broken soul, a hungry soul, and whatever will devour your soul. And there's plenty out there that will devour your soul. And that that preservation happens in these four ways. Guarding, guiding, protecting, and, and praying. Guarding, a shepherd guards the door of the fold. My task is is not to fill up this church with as many people as I can. I hope that Christ saves everybody in Lynchburg and everybody around the world. But my primary responsibility is to protect the sheep that God has already given me charge over. And so if you would come here and you would you would you would be a threat in some way to the sheep, I don't want you here. I want you to get converted and get your life right and then you would be welcome. You understand what I'm saying? It's someone who checks in and thinks of the sheep. He stands watch. Sometimes the only thing that stands between you and spiritual devastation is your pastors. He preserves them through guiding. The shepherd leads the flock to green pastures. He walks out front. He must guide the church and how to stay within the boundaries. He preserves them through protecting Pastors are to watch and guard through preaching and teaching and counseling and confronting. Pastors teach people, keep them from eating poisonous weeds that might look good but will kill them and protects them from prowling wolves or the false teachers inside and outside the church. And finally, He preserves them through praying. Some of you tell me on a regular basis, you pray for me. And I cannot tell you how much that means to me. And I have no clue what that has protected me from. But I want you to know I pray for you too. The other pastors do. In general and specific, James 5.13 says, If anyone is suffering, then they're to pray. But if anybody gets to the point where they're beyond hope, then they call for the elders to pray. The pastor's prayers help guard the sheep from spiritual harm, helps them confess sins that might be weighing them down in that case, and they should be made for the flock. It's part of it's part of of shepherding. Um, what do leaders of a church do? They pronounce the word of God. They preside over the church of God. They preserve preserve the flock of God. Pastors are always described in the Bible the same way. There's always more than one, plural. They're not always in the pulpit. They're not always paid, but they're always, they always are fulfilling these duties and they always meet those qualifications that we've, we've already looked at. And they're a gift from Christ to, to you, to His church. She bow your heads.